This podcast is presented by the Bet Parks online casino and sportsbook app. New customers download now and get up to $1,000 in casino bonus back if you're not a winner in your first 24 hours. See BetParks.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 in PA, New Jersey, Maryland, Michigan, or Ohio. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult to Today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation semi annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal too. Schedule a no obligation in home estimate now. Call 866 90 Nation or visit windownation.com. At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter your search based on the qualities that are most important to you. Then you can book a free 15-minute consultation call with any therapist you're interested in seeing. So you can get a feel for whether they're the right fit before you commit to a full-length session. Alma also makes it easy for mental health care providers to navigate insurance. That's why 95% of therapists in their directory accept insurance for sessions. So you can find care that's affordable without stressing about the paperwork. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit HelloAlma.com Therapy60 to schedule a free consultation today. That's HelloAlma.com Therapy60. This is the Ginger Genuine Draft Show with your host, Ben Natan. Right here on Bleeding Green Nation and BGNRadio.com. Meine Damen und Herren, Madame and Monsieur, ladies and gentlemen, welcome. I am your host, Ben Natan, and this is episode two of Ginger Genuine Draft, brought to you by Bleeding Green Nation Radio. It is a good week, and I will tell you why it's a good week. It is a good week because I am now in possession of my very own apartment. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. It was truly challenging to find a an apartment in this city, and it's impossible to be hyperbolic about apartment hunting because everything goes so fast and is so expensive. The only thing that can really compete with the speed and the price of apartment hunting in New York is dating in New York. But alas, you did not tune in to hear me talk about my living status. You definitely did not tune in to hear about my relationship status. I'm single, by the way. You tuned in to hear about SEC football and specifically SEC offense. The Southeastern Conference. Now, I have a love-hate relationship with SEC offense. When it's bad, when you get those LSU... Arkansas 12 to 5, 16 to 8 type of games. I don't want to watch that. But when you get Florida versus Georgia, Georgia versus Alabama, games where running backs, the running backs specifically, are going off, there isn't a thing or person I would rather spend my Saturday night with than SEC offensive football. And it's 
like high speed smash mouth football. Now, up in the Big Ten, you also get smash mouth football, but it's more of a fat man running in slow motion type of smash mouth football, whereas in the SEC, it's more two Mack trucks going at each other 100 miles an hour, 85 times a game. And it's a it's all about the running backs. And when you're talking about the SEC and you're talking about running backs, you have to start with the most divisive player in this draft. And he's probably been the most divisive player in this draft, frankly, since he stepped onto the field as a freshman against Wisconsin. Ladies and gentlemen, I am talking about Leonard Fournette, the amazing LSU running back. He had 1,900 yards last season, over 20 touchdowns, and had a stretch of games where he he was forcing people to reconsider the rules about college eligibility and letting players go into the NFL early. And obviously people were being reactionary as sports fans tend to be, but he is a specimen of a football player. But of course, when you have a player who's so in the national spotlight, like Leonard Fournette is, there's going to be some overcorrection on both sides. And I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the overcorrection because I think it's important to break that down. You have some people talking about, oh, you know, he's not as good as his hype. He's actually not even a top five running back in this class. But worse than that, and I, do, I, I don't want to knock people's opinions, but I, I, want to, I want to speak to the methodology that goes into the formation of, of an opinion. There are people talking about Leonard Fournette as not only the best running back prospect in the past five years, not, not only the best running back prospect in the last 10 years, there are some people who are saying he's the best running back prospect ever and also one of the best prospects, period, of all time. Now, that's problematic because when players, when you create that mythos behind a player. You, you give them that legendary type of status. You eliminate the space for that player to be critiqued without that critique being met with, oh, well, if he's this, that, and the other thing, then he's not actually good. It, it creates this extremism and this cycle of hot takery because people are constantly wanting to outdo each other. And it's it's happened before, and not necessarily with running back. It's happened with it happens with quarterbacks all the time, where someone comes out and says, "Oh, well, this quarterback is the best quarterback since Andrew Luck," and that'll be met with some pushback, and it'll be met with critique of the player. And when people try to critique the player who has been called the best prospect since Blah or the best prospect of all time, it creates this uncertainty among an audience, uh, the audience of you know, draft media or, or whatever. And I, I want to be clear that often when you have these situations where people are saying, oh, this is the best prospect of all time, and it's like, well, actually, he's horrible. It's usually you have to find the middle ground. And, and the truth is always lying somewhere in the middle with those types of situations. And that's the case for Leonard Fournette. He is not the best running back prospect of all time, and therefore, he is not the best prospect of all time. But that doesn't mean he's not a very, very, very talented running back. 
we're talking about a 6'2", 230-pound back who, at the age of 19 years old, ran for 1,900 yards and 23 touchdowns in the toughest and most athletic conference in the country. So to say that he is bad is obviously untrue. To say that he is flawed, that, that is where the truth is. He is definitely a flawed prospect, as all prospects are. And that flaw kind of comes in his ability to move laterally. And when you have a player of his size, you know, 6'2", 230 pounds, it's much more difficult for those players to be laterally explosive, make those those cuts and be, being able to redirect and then accelerate without interrupting their movement, interrupting their the flow of their running style. Leonard Fournette is more of a linear player. Now, when you put him in that straight line, he's a damn damn special player because of how fast he is and how powerful he is. He has such great power in his lower body that you can see him explode as soon as he gets the ball. And when defenders try to make contact with him, he does a great job of adjusting his pad level and using his natural power and then also his leverage to power through tackles. So he's able to create yardage for himself. And that's an important trait in a running back. You don't want to invest highly in running backs who need offense to be created for them. I mean, we have running backs in the NFL who, for the most part, have been products of talent around them. You have uh, Latavius Murray was a case in, in Oakland where he's this very athletic running back and he was put behind a very good offensive line with a strong-armed quarterback and a vertical offense. And because of that, he was able to be productive. Similarly, and this is going to sting for Eagles fans, that was probably the case with DeMarco Murray as well. You had a great offensive line. You had a strong passing game. And because of that, and because of the volume that Murray was able to use... He was productive, and you don't really want to invest highly, be it in free agency or be it in the draft, in players that need strong offensive line play or need talent around them to produce. You need guys who can create offense on their own. And because of Fournette's linear explosiveness, his speed, his power, that is where he's going to be able to create offense. He's not going to be creating a lot for you in terms of, you know, creating offense behind the line. Unless he's going to be breaking tackles, you're not really expecting him to redirect behind the line, get away from traffic behind the line. You, He's the type of guy that you want to hit the hole at full speed. And then once he gets to that second level of the defense, that's where he starts really making noise. He's a very good prospect, and if I had to compare him to anyone, I would say he's a lot like Steven Jackson, and that's not an insult. Steven Jackson is a near Hall of Fame player. I think that Leonard Fournette has the ability to go to a team with a power-running-oriented offense because, to me, I think that Leonard Fournette is more of a point-and-shoot type of running back. If he ends up in that situation like that where they're just going to let him shoot and go— you're getting a productive, a highly productive and a highly physically gifted NFL running back. But as good as Leonard Fournette is, you know, he's probably going to end up being a Heisman candidate, Heisman finalist even. As good as he is, the best running back in the SEC 
and probably in the draft, if he's healthy, and that's a big caveat, is Nick Chubb, the Georgia running back. Nick Chubb came onto the scene his freshman year because he was Todd Gurley's backup, and unfortunately Todd Gurley was injured his final year at Georgia, but Nick Chubb came on as a freshman, you know, six foot, 220 pounds, purely muscle, and just dominated. He can do everything. He is powerful. He is agile. He has a top gear that'll just blow your mind for a player his size. He can catch. He he can create offense behind the line. He, he really, really can do it all. And, and just when you have a combination of physical gifts and nuance, understanding of the position, where Chubb can kind of see the holes, anticipate the holes open up before they're fully open and because of that there's a fluidity to his running style that you don't really expect from a guy his size and that makes him so dangerous and so versatile in terms of the teams that he could go to and be productive with but he's not the only running back in Georgia who is eligible for the draft his backup Sony Michelle is incredibly talented and you wonder how the hell does Georgia constantly stack up on these super talented running backs? Even with Michelle and Chubb on the team, their backup, Elijah Holyfield, who's not draft eligible, is also just an absolute monster. And it's ridiculous how they constantly are getting these guys. But alas, let's talk about Sony. Sony is a bit smaller than Chubb. He's six foot. 205-ish, but he's this very, very quick back. Great agility. Reminds you a bit of LaShawn McCoy, the way he's able to cut on a dime and redirect and just completely make defenses look idiotic. And even better is he's a very, very gifted receiver, and there's not a lot of backs in this class, though this is a very, very good running back class. There's probably four backs at most, I would say, are gifted, gifted receivers. And Michelle is probably in the top two of those backs. And I think that he can really go to a team, be a third down back early, and eventually get the job as a, as a starting running back. He has all the tools to be a very good starting running back. Despite him being a little bit smaller and that more agile type of guy, he still has some power to his game. He can break tackles. He can run inside. So just that versatility to his game, like Chubb, makes it really, really attractive to draft him. Now, he's not as physically gifted as Chubb. He doesn't have Chubb's size. Of course, he didn't suffer a horrific knee injury like Nick Chubb did, but unfortunately, he did suffer an arm injury in training camp for the Bulldogs. So Georgia is going to be a team to keep an eye on this year. They have two very, very good draft eligible running backs, both of whom hopefully are healthy for the season. So in terms of the best running back talent, I would say that Georgia with Nick Chubb has the top guy in the entire draft, so therefore the top guy in the SEC. And Sony Michelle is an outstanding backup for him who could be a major contributor in the NFL. But there's one more back in the conference I really want to talk about, and that's Jalen Hurd at Tennessee. And Jalen Hurd does not get talked about enough because he is huge. 
He is 6'1". He's 240 pounds. That is a gigantic running back. And he's quick. He's You don't expect a guy who's built like a can of soup to juke guys out and make guys look silly in space and then accelerate away from entire defenses. But Jalen Hurd can do that. He, he reminds me a lot of Derrick Henry last year. Derrick Henry was a bit divisive last year because people couldn't really figure out what he was and the fact that he was more of a home run threat despite him being a bigger running back it kind of screwed with people's understandings of how running back archetypes work and therefore people just kind of said he was bad and that, that that's not tr- true and similar with Jalen Hurd where you look at a 6'1 240 pound back and you're like oh he's you know he's Brandon Jacobs or he's Ron Dane or some ridiculous crap like that but the reality is that he is more so like a LeGarrette Blunt, who's this big running back who has excellent footwork and can also run away from defenses, while he can also use the advantage of his size to break tackles, to create behind the line, to, to just power through and pick up yards after contact. So there's a really complete aspect to, to his game, and he's not quite at the level of Leonard Fournette. He's not quite at the level of Nick Chubb, but... If you are drafting in this draft, and let's say you don't have a first-round pick, uh, hint, hint, and you need a running back, hint, hint, Jalen Hurd is one of those guys you really take a hard look at in the second round. But Jalen Hurd isn't the only offensive piece on the Tennessee Volunteers. They also have a good quarterback, uh, and frankly, the best quarterback in the conference, and that's Josh Dobbs. And Dobbs is interesting because he's a mobile quarterback. He's, he's a very good athlete, and they used his mobility a lot on offense last year, a lot of designed runs, and they even put him out at wide receiver a few times and for some trick plays, and really were taking advantage of the fact that he's a good athlete. But when he actually has the opportunity to drop back and pass, he's very, very intelligent. He's very accurate in that short, mid-range game. And he's poised. He, he does a great job of navigating the pocket. His athleticism allows him to create outside the pocket. You know, if the play breaks down, he's able to pick up yardage or he can go outside the pocket, look for guys. He just does a really good job managing the game but also understanding that he's a good athlete and he can create plays with his feet. Now, he doesn't have the strongest arm, and he's not the biggest. And that's that's a bit worrying because when there's the trope of the big quarterback and the type of quarterback that the NFL loves, which are the big, you know, 6'5", 240-pound quarterbacks. And there's a reason for that because... From a physical standpoint, it's much easier for those guys to have big arms or develop big arms because having a strong arm is a lot about core strength. And a bigger quarterback is going to have more physical room to grow his core strength. And with that, you're going to be able to grow a bigger arm or develop a bigger arm. Now, if you have a smaller quarterback like Russell Wilson... It's not so much about the height, but more the weight. And BMI is going to be an important measurement when looking at quarterbacks. Where Russell Wilson is short, you know, he's 5'11". 
but he's also 225 pounds. You know, he is very, very well built. And that's an important thing to look at for quarterbacks. You don't really want to be drafting guys who are skinnier, where a guy like Jared Goff is, you know, 6'3 or 6'4, but he actually had a lower BMI than Teddy Bridgewater. And that shows, that showed with his arm strength, that showed with his ability to hit the boundary on the outside that he wasn't able to, to develop a lot of power from his core. And when a guy isn't able to do that, then you're really asking him to have a perfect throwing base on every single play in order to maximize arm strength. And really, that is just not realistic. It's not realistic and you want a guy to be able to physically create arm strength on his own and not really have to constantly have a perfect base because for whatever reason, if it's compromised, then they're completely shut down from being able to make plays. So going back to Josh Dobbs, Josh Dobbs is a smaller quarterback. He's also a skinnier quarterback. So it really limits what he's able to do from an arm strength perspective. Now, he his mobility allows him to create yardage, and that's going to be an important aspect for him in the college level. It's going to be an important aspect for him at the NFL level. But realistically, it seems as he's a little bit physically maxed out. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. I, I don't think that a guy has to be an Andrew Luck or uh, you know Teddy Bridgewater or a Derek Carr type of prospect in order to quote, be a quote-unquote good prospect. Josh Dobbs can still be a good prospect. He can still be a guy that you draft on your football team to be your backup and potentially develop into, you know, a mid-tier starter, a guy like Alex Smith. He seems like a guy like Alex Smith who doesn't really threaten down the field but does a good job managing the game in the short to intermediate game and also pick up yardage with his legs. Obviously not a guy you invest highly in, but not necessarily a guy that you just disregard. And it's interesting to juxtapose Josh Dobbs and how people are really talking about Josh Dobbs to how people are talking about Chad Kelly. Chad Kelly, of course, is the Ole Miss quarterback who had a nice statistical, and I stress that, a nice statistical season last season for Ole Miss. But I want to make it very clear that he is the polar opposite of Josh Dobbs. Now, Josh Dobbs is a smaller quarterback who's a decent athlete with a not-so-good arm, but he's very accurate, he's very smart, and also, off the field, he is quite literally a rocket scientist. That is what he's studying at Tennessee. He's a tremendous student by all accounts, just absolutely the highest character of player. So definitely a guy you really want in your locker room, obviously. I'm not an NFL player. I'm not an NFL coach. So there's only so much insight I have into this topic, but I could still offer my opinion. He's the type of guy you really want in your locker room. Chad Kelly is not. You know, he has great tools, you know, 6'4, 220 pounds, rocket for an arm, but he is incredibly inaccurate. He's a horrible decision maker. He's just. You watch him, and he's a frantic quarterback. And by all accounts, his character is a mess. He has some potential issues with substances and some entitlement issues. And there was an instance where he went to a club. The bouncer did not let him in. And he told the bouncer that he would be going to his car 
and grabbing an assault rifle from his car to shoot up the club. Police got involved. Not really a pretty thing. And of course, you want to talk about, oh, he's just a kid. Kids make mistakes. Look, I get it. I'm 20 years old. I have screwed up more times than people really should at 20 years old. But there comes a certain time where people need to be held accountable for their mistakes. And when you're put in a leadership position, like the quarterback position, there there needs to be a different standard. And we saw this with Johnny Manziel. Johnny Manziel, all the red flags in the world coming out of college. And I was one of the people who said, oh, he's 20, he's 21. You know, let him let him be. Let him make mistakes. You know, he's partying. Who doesn't like to party? He's 21 years old. He's a quarterback. I like to party. Who doesn't like to party? And it's bit him in the ass. It's bit him in the ass. It bit the Browns in the ass. And it's just been a mess ever since. When the flags are there, when you have a guy who is so outwardly entitled when he's just saying these violent things. And on top of that, he's not even a good prospect on the field. Why would you be talking about him like a first round pick? Why isn't he held to that higher standard that we try to hold quarterbacks to, or we try to hold ourselves to? And I'll get off the high horse. I, I don't really want to rant about a guy's character because it's just not fun to do. It's not fun to attack people's character. Honestly, I hope that Chad Kelly improves. He is talented, and I hope that he's able to reform whatever immaturity that's kind of holding him back in his life. But alas, before we close out the show, I want to talk about the big uglies. I think it's really important to talk about these guys, especially in the SEC. And of course, there's other talented guys in the SEC. We're not going to get to OJ Howard today, but I want to talk about Ethan Pochick and Cam Robinson. Cam Robinson first. He was a monstrous freshman offensive tackle for the Crimson Tide. I remember watching him against Florida his freshman year. And he was just blowing guys up. And I was, I said, this guy's 18 years old. This guy's the same age as me. And he's kicking Dante Fowler's ass. It, like, it's nothing. And he's athletic. He's big. He's 6'4". He's 320 pounds. He moves well. He's powerful. Now, this year, there was a narrative going around that, you know, he'd regressed from his freshman year. But the reality was he was dealing with some injuries. And frankly, he was still pretty damn good. And when a guy is that athletic, when a guy has those intangibles, when they're so technically capable at 18, 19 years old, while also being very good athletes, that's an offensive tackle prospect that you really pay attention to. And we just had an offensive tackle last season with Laramie Tunsil, who to me was one of the best offensive tackles I'd really seen. And I think that Cam Robinson has the potential you know, he has to nail down some consistency. He needs to really stay healthy. But he has the potential to be even better than Tunsil just because I think he's a better athlete. So Cam Robinson obviously is going to be a big key for the Crimson Tide. Obviously, he's their left tackle, important position. Going to be a guy to keep an eye on. But my favorite offensive lineman in this draft, and he, frankly, he was my offensive lineman in last year's draft. For the, throughout the entire season, I was under the impression he would declare because he was so good last year. And I was like, oh, this guy's going to be a top 10 pick. 
this guy is going to be a top 10 pick. He's going to be the best lineman in the class. He is so good. And that is Ethan Pochick. He played center for LSU last year, and I promise you he was a big reason people were talking so much about Leonard Fournette. He is 6'6", he's 315 pounds, and he's mean as hell, he's athletic, he's got long arms, and it's so impressive to see a guy who's 6'6", play at the center position. Usually centers are the shortest guy on the offensive line because they're the ones who really, really need to have great leverage because the defensive tackles are much shorter, so you don't want to have your pads high against the low defensive tackle because then you're exposing a lot of your body. And if you're exposing a lot of your body, it's much easier to shed the block, get to the off, get to the quarterback, get to the running back. So for six, six offensive lineman to be so dominant at center, it really speaks to his technical capabilities. And Pochick is so in tune with the nuanced aspects of offensive line play. And it's so important with offensive line play that you get good athletes because the best athletes in the world are defensive linemen. But you can't just draft athletes. I think we've seen that over the past couple of years, especially with Craig Robinson. You can't just draft dominant athletes and expect them to be good offensive linemen. You need to have some understanding of the technique. You need to have a certain amount of awareness. There's an attitude that comes with playing offensive line. And Pochick has all of those aspects. He is technically able, he is athletic, and he's mean as hell. He's going to block you right through the whistle and really just embarrass the defensive lineman. And when you get a combination of those things, we're really talking about a complete prospect at the interior offensive line. Now, there's a possibility he moves to guard this year, but and that's going to be important for his draft eval, see how versatile he is, because a lot of people aren't going to be really comfortable drafting centers or guards that high. But if we're talking about a guy who can play any interior position, a top 10 pick is possible. A top 15 pick is very, very likely. And though he might not go as high as he should, I promise you he's going to end up being a top 10 player from this class. He is outstanding. Now, there are lots of other players in the SEC who are going to make noise this year as well as be very good draft prospects. Guys like O.J. Howard, who dominated the national championship. He's an incredibly athletic tight end. I remember his freshman year, he caught a slant from A.J. McCarron, and he outran the entire LSU defense, you know, 250 pounds, outrunning an entire defense as a freshman. That blew my mind, and I knew that he would be a special, special player, and unfortunately, his usage kind of dropped off his sophomore year and his junior year. Lane Kiffin didn't use him as much uh, in the passing game, but you saw his potential in the national championship. He got involved. He was breaking tackles. He was using his speed to outrun guys. He was playing well at the catch point. He's the new age tight end. He has the athleticism to be the new age tight end, to be that Vernon Davis type of player who, yeah, he can block. Sure. But you really want to put that guy in the slot or you really want to put that guy on the outside and create mismatches. So O.J. Howard, of course, is a special player in the SEC. Malachi Dupree, Travin Durrell, both really great receivers for for the LSU. It's going to be important to see how the quarterback situation in there progresses because I think a lot of their draft stock is going to end up hinging on how good their quarterback is going to be, similar to Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry two years ago. But where the money will be made 
in the conference on the offensive side of the ball will be the running backs with Leonard Fournette, Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle, and Jalen Hurd, and also the outstanding offensive linemen. This has been a fun show, guys. I, I love talking about running backs. It's one of my favorite positions. Next week, we'll be talking about the Pac-12, which is my conference, the conference that I love watching the most. And we'll be talking about the Pac-12 on the offensive side of the ball. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Ben Natan. This is Ginger Genuine Draft, brought to you by Bleeding Green Nation Radio. Good night.